0: The reading this morning is uh, John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, "'They have taken the Lord out of the tomb.' And we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, "'Woman, why are you crying?' They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks.
1: Early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. There's been days of grief days of sadness culminating in Good Friday. You can imagine what the disciples are feeling. Every hope dashed. Every hope and sense of future destroyed on that day. And while it was still dark, Mary comes to the tomb and sees the stone rolled away. We know the significance of that but to Mary at that time yet more tragedy Arriving and thinking, what have they done with my Lord? Questions, questions, questions. She rushes back and Peter and John, it refers to um, the other disciple. This is John who has written the gospel. They get there too and go inside and see that the the, um, burial cloths are still there. It says that John believes But Peter, not quite. Whether John fully believes, as those little um, quotes in brackets. He hadn't fully understood the implication of the resurrection. More questions. They're beginning to think, could it be true? Could this be what Jesus has said? But not yet, Mary. She is deep in grief and wants to stay. She probably doesn't know what to do. What do you do when everything has come to this point? She stays. And through her tears, sees a man approach. Who asks her, why are you crying? Thinking it's the gardener. She tells him. And in that beautiful moment, Mary. And at that point, hope is restored. Even though she may not fully understand, hope is restored. This is Jesus Rabboni. He is alive. Just imagine what that must have felt. And that simple call of recognition, Mary, Jesus knows our name. He knows every single person's name and he speaks it over us. He reveals himself to us By calling us by name. Then the call to action. Jesus never leaves you standing still for too long. I'm returning to my father and your father. To my God and your God. Go tell them. So Mary's stirred up to action. She's got a job to do. But look at the words that Jesus uses. If you've got this open on page 1089. It's towards the end of the passage we had read. Verse 17, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Up until now, when Jesus has referred to God or to Father, it has been as the Father or my Father. And something's changed. The resurrection has changed the relationship. And now he says to Mary by name, your Father, your God. Listen to what Tom Wright says. A new relationship has sprung to life like a sudden spring flower. The disciples are welcomed into a new world. A world where they can know God the way Jesus knew God. Where they can be intimate children with their Father. This is the joy of Easter Day. The resurrection means that our relationship with God the Father is transformed through Jesus. He knows us by name. And we can come to him as our Father, our Lord, my God, my Lord, my Jesus. Forever that relationship has been restored, renewed. And we can be intimate children with our Father. The joy of Easter Day. No wonder, through thousands of years, people celebrate Easter. We think Christmas is the highlight, but for the ch- Christian church, Easter Is the high point of our year because Jesus is alive, and because of that, everything has changed. Everything is different, and our relationship with God is drastically renewed and restored a new way of being, a new identity, a new purpose. And this is how we celebrate and live. We are not Good Friday people, although we need to sit at the cross and remember and share with Jesus the pain and suffering of the world. On a day like today, we share in sadness, in horror, in terror with what has happened in Sri Lanka. We weep with God the Father over what can happen. But we also live as Easter people because death has been defeated. Life in Christ is made real. And Jesus has opened the way to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. See what a morning. We're going to sing that later on. See what a morning. Let's never lose the sense of excitement and joy of Easter Day. And let us live our lives as Easter people. Today is a great day of celebration. But I know there's other emotions today. You've been really good to me and shared in my excitement. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for the wonderful notes and messages that you have been sending me. And I know from those messages that there's excitement but also sadness. And I share that. We can own several feelings at once and it's okay. We can be excited and sad all at the same time. And we can also face trepidation along with joy about a future. We can feel excited and terrified all at the same time. Believe me, I know that. I know what that is. I've been living with these emotions for quite some time. What it means to feel excited and sad, fearful and joyful, all wrapped up in one. But Jesus knows how we are feeling. I wouldn't normally do this on Easter Day because it feels very self-indulgent to talk about myself, but I want to share a little bit of my journey because I think you want to hear. Because some people have said, God, how did you get there? In fact, when I was interviewed, one of the questions was, imagine you've done a school assembly and an eight-year-old child comes up at the end and says, why did you want to be a bishop? And my immediate response was, my goodness me, I've never wanted to be a bishop. (laughs) I've never woken up in the morning and thought, yeah, this is the career path that I am on. Never. But I have known God's call on my life. And I've known for about three years that people have been speaking into my life and saying, this is what we see in you. People I hugely respect. Bishop Andrew drew me aside and said, I see this in you. And that is the role of leaders, to identify what they see in other people and draw that out of them. He saw it, others saw it. For me, the journey of three years has been for me to see it and to recognize it. And that's quite a hard journey. When people say something about you, you can feel immensely flattered. But to own it and think, is this actually just something I'm going to feel good about? ho! Oh, he thinks this. Or am I going to listen to what God is saying? And that's a journey to have. God, what are you saying to me? And if you are saying this, then what? What does that mean? What does that look like? I've had amazing opportunities to explore that further. I've been part of a national learning program. All it's done is just consolidate what other people have been saying. More people were saying it to me. and At times I wish they'd shut up. I don't want to hear it anymore. Because what do you do with that? People say we can see you as a bishop. Great. You don't apply for a bishop's jobs. So what do you do with that? Do you believe it? Do you become ambitious and do everything you can to work towards it? Do you trust God on a journey that can be at times a little bit tortuous? And think I'm in your hands, whatever it leads to. My CV is very unusual in the Church of England. I haven't been ordained desperately long. I have had a life before, and the Church of England is recognising that and recognising the whole of a life experience. And I rejoice that that my appointment is giving confidence to other people. I've had a letter from Serum College to say that I'm the first person from Stets, which is the training course I did, to have been made a bishop. And they're delighted because they feel that part-time courses are not hugely appreciated. They could you come back and speak to us sometime? <laughs> but actually to recognize that someone who's followed not the traditional male route of residential college when you're in your 20s, to three curacies and five incumbencies, to various other positions, having been at the right schools, universities, and knowing the right people. That was how you became a bishop in the past. Well, I don't look like that, and my CV certainly doesn't look like that. And that's been confusing because if God is saying something and yet the evidence is not there, what does that do? And I'd love to say it's all been deadly straightforward, but it hasn't been. There's been a lot of pain in testing different things and allowing myself to be hurt in testing what God is saying. And that's not always easy because you don't know the end result. And where it's going, but each time having to trust God in what He is saying. And I I know His voice in my life, and He's never stopped. And every time I've put it to rest and say, Lord, I'm not, something unexpectedly appears, and this is how this happened. In November, Paul and I came back from Australia and said, This is it, leave it, just leave it. And I felt really calm and really peaceful. That at the moment I wasn't looking for anything in particular, I wasn't questioning what next, just peace. It was wonderful. And then on Christmas Eve I got an email. (sighs) Come on Lord, what are you doing? I've laid this down and yet again. And you get an email saying, you're being invited to submit papers for a post. And by the way, could they be in by the 7th of January? Brilliant timing. We're really sorry, we know this is bad timing in parish work. (laughs) Tell me about it but I knew God's call and I said I've got to do this but I also know that it could have led to nothing and you have a choice do you step out and risk being hurt again at times I'm really brave I keep doing it and I did and ultimately this is what it led to God has called me by name to where I am going my final Sunday is going to be quite soon Going to be on the 9th of June, and I know that's a short period of time, but actually, think liturgically what is happening. Look at what God has done. Today is Easter, the first Sunday you know, and my final Sunday will be Pentecost. That is the journey of traveling with Jesus in his resurrected form to the moment where Jesus leaves and the disciples wait for the Holy Spirit to empower them for what is next. Symbolically, I think that's important because I'm equally excited about what God is doing here. I've known for some time and you'll not say this at the moment you need someone different from me. I've done the work that God has called me to do and I've known that for a couple of years. And yes I can keep going on and everything's fine and we can keep building a little bit more here and there but the bulk of the work that God has called me to do I completed and have done and I've seen that. And last um, September, I sat in a meeting and I thought, my goodness me, I think the final pillar is in place of what God has asked of me. And God calls us to a task. and he's, I've done what he's called me to do. And you need somebody else. And that's not false modesty. I've known it for some time. You need somebody else because what God has laid in place here is for the future. Sarah was on a conference recently with youth workers and there are very very few churches that have anybody under the age of 16. They gather together people who had 25 children under the age of 16. And in that gathering we were the only rural church in the country that had more than 25 children attending church regularly. And in the room, they all went round and saying, we don't know why we're here. And when Sarah said, I have no idea why I'm here, I'm in a small village church. And they said, because you are a small village church and you're bucking the trend and you are the only one gathered here that's in that situation. That's God's work. And he's doing more and more of it. And we need to realise who we are and what God is doing and to grow into that more and more. And that is the next stage of your journey. What is God saying next? We've sensed his presence over the last six months of bubbling things up new families coming a new 1045 service that was you know tricky to begin with but now is we see what it's for and who it's for and it's so exciting God is doing an amazing work the foundations are in place there is sadness in saying goodbye to dear friends but your future is in God's hand and he has prepared the way for you And when I again look and see what he's put in place, the fact that you've got Tom coming to cover a maternity cover, I never believed we'd get anybody. And I prayed, Lord, would you find somebody to help? And we've got an experienced youth worker coming. You don't get that. God has given that. Because his plans for this place are exciting. You are Easter people who are moving on to the next step. Yes, we have to say goodbye. But be excited because God has amazing plans. The Archdeacon is going to come to the APCM, which is a week tomorrow, 8 o'clock. Do come. We'll have an hour of our own business, and then he's going to arrive at 9 o'clock. And he will explain the process for you finding your next person. He's already got it in hand, he's excited. Come and hear him, because he's a fantastic man. And he will lead you very gently and carefully with great wisdom and huge discernment. I've worked with him on many vacancy processes. He is a good man. And the fact that he immediately said to me, it will help your congregation if I come to the APCM. When is it? I'll get it in my diary. He's a very kind man. So come a week on Monday, and he will explain more. It's not my job to explain that. He will do that for you but we have several weeks together where we can continue to hear from God as to what he is saying for me and for you. And we'll experience lots of emotions. But we live as Easter people with a hope of the future. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.